right and center. It's an opportunity for yours truly to uh, get involved in discussion with a couple of people, uh, both of whom I respect very highly, and we take a look at issues of the day and try to get you know some sense of where these are coming from. Sometimes we do divide along the lines of left, right, and center, and sometimes we're kind of all over the map. Uh, however it works. Usually by the end of the program, we've uh, at least explored the issue and maybe provided some food for thought for you, our listeners, as well. Marion Boyd and Bob Metzer in the studio with me today, and welcome to both of you. Thanks, Jim. Morning, Jim. Um, earlier today, I talked at some length about um, the United Church, which has made some statements about the workfare program. They're not happy with it, and I said that, uh, from my perspective, I, I kind of thought that... Um, I guess I didn't say this in so many words, but I'll say it in so many words now, that it might have been more productive had they come up with some alternatives and said, well, maybe we could do this, or maybe you, you government, you're a bunch of chuckleheads, but why don't you try this instead? I didn't get the sense from the reports we had that they really did that. They kind of reiterated their opposition to it and said, it's just bad, the end of story, we shouldn't be doing this. And we had some interesting calls kind of on both sides of that. And I'd like to talk to the two of you this morning, and I'm going to set up the, the premise here. Here's the premise as I see it, and feel free to disagree if you think my premise is wrong. We have a situation wherein we have a fairly robust economy, but there are still unacceptable levels of employment. People can argue, is there such a thing as an acceptable level? And, and traditionally, I think the economists will say, well, traditionally, there's always been, you know, X number of people who've, even in the best economy, maybe you're just between jobs, but there's always some unemployment. But there seems to be more today than, than there are people out there who really do want to work who simply can't get a job. So we have a welfare system, if all else fails, when they have exhausted their own resources. Uh, we don't want people starving or having to sleep on the streets, and for the most part, they don't have to in this country. Um, but we do have this group of individuals out there who, uh, and, and family members, let's put it that way, and suggest they're all single, but family members out there who are facing some tough times and what are we going to do with them? The provincial government came up with an idea that perhaps, for a variety of reasons, good and bad, maybe what we need to do is to provide some work opportunity slash work experience slash uh, punishment, whatever you want to call it, but we're going to, for some of these people, we're going to insist that if they want money from us, from the, from the society at large, that they're going to have to give something back. And the way we're going to do that is we're going to ask them to do this work project, that work project, some other work project. It kind of, it, it, it's, it's, the wheels have kind of fallen off the wagon because it wasn't very thought well thought out in the first place, I don't think. Um, and they, they didn't get much support from people they needed, people like the United Church, people who needed to come along and say, that's a good program and we can make it better or, you know, here's how we're going to do this. Um, so my premise then is that we are faced today with the same problem. We have a, a perception in the province by enough people to elect a conservative government that the conservative position on this is, is right, that we do need to try and tie some kind of productivity to give them this money away. We, on the, the other end of the, of, of the scale, we have people who are saying, well, you know, welfare isn't enough to survive on effectively, particularly for fam family situation now, so that's another element of the problem. Another element is, uh, how do we train people for jobs that aren't there? It, it, it becomes a very confusing situation, I think, for everybody, however you feel about this. And Bob, I'm going to ask, I'm going to start with you. Given that we've got these folks here, and, and I want to, I mean, I'm going to ask you not for the simplistic answer, although there may be one, but in, in, a, in, a, general, in a broad sense, if you just came on the scene today and said, you know, how can, I, how can I take the first steps? Not here's the ideal situation, but how would I take the first steps today to, to maybe either solve or ameliorate this problem? How do we get as many people who want jobs working, and in the interim, what do we do with them? Oh, there's a lot of things we can do. 
Um, lower taxes is the big one, number one. Uh, absolutely, lower taxes will create more jobs. I think we should increase a personal pay basic exemption to at least twenty twenty-five thousand dollars Now, what, what, what does that mean in terms that of... That means the first twenty twenty-five thousand dollars that anyone earns is tax-free. That anybody earns? Anybody earns. Okay. Um, we should... Uh, get rid of things like minimum wages, which ironically is something workfare is getting around. I heard some of your callers this morning, the lady who said she was getting help in the house by people who working for 50 cents to $3 an hour. Um, well, that's a government subsidized program. They actually well, get paid more than that's that. That's true, but the cost to the market is, like, she, she's getting it cheaper, but it's still, you know, workfare is kind of a fraudulent concept mm -hmm. because a job is a job is a job. When you're getting paid to do a task, that's not charity and it's not welfare. It's work, and it's as simple as that. That's what that's what's going on here. We're talking about job creation in another name. Mm -hmm. um, you know, Harris was all opposed to Bob Ray's job creation plans and doing the same thing, but giving it a different name and doing it slightly differently. But uh, you know, those are just a few of the things, and, and we should be ending the closed shop concept within the whole union labor movement, so that people can have more of competition in, in the whole labor field. Um, that's how you create jobs. That's the only answer. Right. Well, you won't be surprised to hear that I disagree <laughs> with Bob. I don't think lowering taxes is going to deal with this particular group of people, although I would agree with the notion that those who are earning uh, the, the kinds of, of, of dollars uh, either in, in low-waged work or on welfare and still find themselves paying taxes, there's, mm -hmm. there's a real problem with that in my view. Mm -hmm. <coughs> Excuse me. But... Uh, you know, I, 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 the United Church's problem with this whole concept of workfare is that it is, in fact, forced labor. Mm -hmm. uh, it's hard to distinguish between what the uh, government of Ontario is doing uh, in forcing people uh, to work for a subsistence uh, wage. And, mm -hmm. of course, you know, if we look at 520 a month for a single person, uh, and look at the rents that are around and the cost of living and so on. We know that is a subsistence level. Uh, they've denied any protection under any of the labor laws, mm -hmm. under occupational health and safety, any of the decent safety concepts. And they expect people who uh, are concerned about human rights, are concerned about the dignity of all Canadians, not to speak out against a program like this. Um, Bob is right. There are many ways in which governments can try to help those who either don't have the skills mm -hmm. or uh, have, have not got the self-confidence or uh, simply don't know how to go about finding work in, in, in trying to find it. We will still have a large number of people who, for one reason or another, find it difficult to get or to maintain work. Many of those people have some form of disability that doesn't qualify them for a disability allowance, mm -hmm. but still makes it very difficult for them to get and maintain work. What kinds of disabilities would, would fall into that category that wouldn't uh, qualify them for an allowance, but that would be a reasonable impediment to their working? Well, uh, a, a, um, a mental um, problem that uh, makes it difficult for people to, to read, to write, to do uh, minor mm -hmm. sums. Many, there are very few jobs that don't require people to have a fairly high level of literacy. Mm -hmm. we, we know that there are a lot of people in Canada who are not functionally literate, 
uh, some of those because they were never taught mm. properly, but others because they do have learning disabilities of one form or another. So that would be one group. Uh, people, I think on one other show we talked about some of the people who have recurrent mental illness mm -hmm. issues. Mm -hmm. um, they may not be deemed to be permanently disabled because of the cyclical nature of uh, their particular disease, but it may, they may find work and then they may find it hard to maintain that work because of that problem. So there are people like that. Okay, let, me, let me tell you both of you an experience I had a couple of weeks ago, and kind of an unusual experience for me because I was, uh, I was involved in a discussion with a gentleman and, and I found myself um, expressing concern about the forced labor element of this. And uh, although I, I'm still I don't think that's exactly what it is, but in the context of the conversation and as things went around, I found myself making the point that here were these individuals that my understanding was, for the most part, are the, uh, he, he called them the single employables. I don't know if that's the criteria, but he seemed to think, and I didn't have any information to refute him, that the initial stages of work fair tended to target kind of the single folks that probably should be doing something. Now, is he wrong about that? Is that not kind of the, the, the point of this thing right now? I mean, the, the point in the sense of the, the, the beginning edge of it? Well, it really depends on what municipality we're talking about. Uh, some municipalities have been more successful than others in terms of uh, putting this program into place. Uh, normally, yes, um, if, you're, if you're faced with a situation where you have a limited number of opportunities, and that's true all over the province, mm -hmm. because frankly, employers are not falling all over themselves. Mm -hmm. Uh, particularly in the public sector, mm -hmm. to take advantage of a program that they think takes advantage of those people. Mm -hmm. um, okay. And so you do focus on on a group that is most likely to benefit the most. Okay. And I think in general, in general terms, most people working in the social work field would say that it is appropriate to concentrate on single employables. Okay. So, so the point was, we're having this discussion, and I'm saying I'm a little bit concerned about this. And here's the point he made. He said, well, you know, you say that you're, you may be concerned about the fact that these people are being told you either work or you don't get your money. Uh, two, and, and, and one element is there are other people who are not being told that they're getting the money anyway and they're not being, quote, forced to work. So it's, it's unfair and well, unequal. In, in, in that sense. But the, the, the point then that he made was, you know, the, the, this sing, so-called single employable makes very little money. And he th the figure he threw around was about 480. What you say? It's 5... I think it's 520. 520 uh, a month. He said, you know, if you, if you look at it from his perspective, he says, if I look at it from my perspective, that individual is not being forced to do anything. That individual, if he has any gumption at all, can earn $480 a month, even in our economy today. You could earn $480 a month sweeping uh, uh, sidewalks, cutting grass, uh, shoveling snow in the wintertime, doing odd jobs, doing all sorts of things. His contention was that, that although if you look in a, family situation where there's you know more involved and so on that that it may become problematic for those people that it really isn't an either or all the government is saying is if you want to earn $520 and you want to earn $520 a month we'll give you the opportunity to actually earn that money by doing something if you really if you don't want to earn that money if you just want to hand out well, we're not going to give it to you because we think that you as a as a single employable you can earn $520 in a month and I thought about what he said you know my first reaction was well I don't know that's a lot of money and then I thought well, wait that's not all that much money that's a hundred and some dollars a week if I had to go out there with no skills well, how can I make that kind of money? And I think about my own house. I had trouble finding somebody to look after the yard for me. I had trouble finding somebody to do some odd jobs around. It took me the longest time to find somebody. And I've had those experiences, and I've talked to other people with those experiences. And I guess I came away less 
concerned about that. I'm not, and when I ask both of you what you think about that, I mean, is it unreasonable for the government to say, we'll give you $520, you do some work for us. If you don't want to do the work, then go make the 520 yourself, because you can probably do that in today's economy. Uh, it's most reasonable, and, and I, I object to the, the term forced labor. Um, that's not the case here. Forced labor means that you would make somebody work and not pay them anything. Uh, and un first of all, they're not forced to work. They don't have to work and collect the welfare, if that's what we're going to call it. And, and they can go elsewhere. The real force in the equation is on the taxpayer. And if the objection, when we talk about forced labor, is to the force aspect, one should be equally morally opposed to the force aspect and forcing taxpayers to pay into a system. That, well, that's, what one, of our that's, that's uh, the point one of our callers made today, that... That if that's the only place there's any morality yeah. issues involved is at that point because, you know, there's an old saying, morality ends where the gun begins. As soon as you're forced to do something, choice is, is no longer an element, which is basic to all moral choices. You have to have a choice. Marianne, what about that, though, well, the idea that, because, I mean, I think the reality is that you and Bob and me, we don't have any choice about paying our taxes. We are forced to pay our taxes to support these programs. Is the, in, in, an, in an abstract sense, is that really any different than, quote, forcing somebody to provide some labor in exchange for some money? Yes, because we're, the, the tax system forces us to pay that on a, on a basis that is the same for people who earn the money that, that we earn and, and is, is geared to uh, ensuring that... Uh, it is a it is an equitable sharing arrangement. But we're first still of all, first we're of still all, the assumption it, here, Jim, that you're making and that Bob always makes, is that people are uh, equally able to do that work. You say somebody could go out and shovel snow or cut grass. No, no, this is what my and, this, but, this fellow I was discussing yeah, it. Well, said. look. If you, if you don't do own a lawnmower mm -hmm. or a shovel... I have a lawnmower and a shovel that anybody can, but I hire can use. somebody comes door to door, how are they uh -huh. going to make contact with you? Would you hire somebody to work around your house if you weren't sure that they were a reliable person who wasn't going to walk off with your stuff? Probably not. Well, are you you're not, no, you, certainly you're not suggesting people on welfare can't be trusted. That's not what no, you're I'm saying. No, I'm not saying that. I'm saying you probably if you were going to have someone work around your house, would want to have some way of knowing that person was reliable. That's why a lot of the job creation programs that have occurred in the past have occurred in a, in a brokering kind of a way. Mm -hmm. They've been quite successful. Our Jobs Ontario program was very successful in terms of getting people off welfare, and the experience there was that more people wanted to get into the program mm -hmm. than you could accommodate. But, but Marion, that was a fairly expensive program to operate, as I recall. Well, it may have been, but it did create permanent jobs that uh, continue to be in the economy. We have we have lots for, of industries here. For every job here. created, how many were lost? Because None. The, money came, the money came from taxes somewhere. It had to come out of somebody else's well, pocket. <laughs> Like all that government job creation does is displace a given market from one place and put it over into another, and then you lose in the process as well. Well, that's not entirely true. First of all, the jobs under Jobs Ontario, the, the vast majority of them that were created, were created through training programs in areas where there simply wasn't the expertise. Diamond Aircraft is a perfectly good example. When Diamond Aircraft came to, to London, they had a process for which no one was trained in Canada. It was a process that was developed in Europe. When it came here, we had no people with the technological training to carry through that process. How did they and train Diamond, people over in Europe? 
because in Germany, as you know, all industries are required to well, pay into apprenticeship training. Well, we don't require that here. No, when we shouldn't, but, but that's my point. <laughs> Industry normally, if left in a free market, would do that in its own self-interest. It doesn't need to be forced by government to do it. Well, that's your theory. And when it is forced by government, it's not a theory, it, it's, it's basically most, Marian, if I own most a business, I know successful European countries isn't going to help. Subsidize training of employees, subsidize new technological training, and, and where do they get that money from? From somebody else's pocket. It just keeps oh. going around in a circle. Yeah, you do no go around in a circle. Well, Marian, there is productivity. Marion, what would Diamond would Diamond have Compared come here though? Come here knowing that process though, that these these skills were not here with the gun trying they they I'm digging back to try to get the memory files out remember, here. Remember, remember we were in a recession. Absolutely. We wanted to increase industry. Absolutely. They came here on a program that and that encouraged them through training grants yeah. ten thousand dollars per employee yes. yeah that's all yeah. so it's not that expensive mm -hmm. when you really look at college tuitions and mm -hmm. so on it really wasn't that expensive and and they and they built that skill among those employees they could then pass it on and they have built a very strong base the employees pay any of that back in taxes, of course they do. But if you go to school... I mean, because they're earning. You yeah. see, they earn while they're doing it. So, in fact, as they are learning, as they're being trained, they're earning because they have to be paid by the company. But if I go to Fanshawe College to, to, to learn a similar skill to mm -hmm. that, um, I have to pay for that myself. I, I get a student loan, which I have to pay back, or I get a part-time job where I actually earn the money. But, but, but Jim, these are people who are working full-time while, er, while they learn. Sure, but if they're working full-time after they learn that, why wouldn't they pay the money back? Well, we don't. First of all, tuition does not cover... It covers only about 30%. Oh, absolutely, but you, I mean, but you so, do have to... You, if so, you, so, so just a minute. Yeah. This is much less than 30% of the cost of educating somebody for a three-year college program. Mm -hmm. It, in fact, was a very cost-effective training program. So because they, if, if, what you're saying... They're earning full-time, they're paying taxes, mm -hmm. the dollars are being pooled to, okay. to so, give new so, technological we say training. We save money, but didn't they have an advantage over the guy that went to Fanshawe? They got a cheaper education than it cost them less than it cost the guy that went to Fanshawe. But so they were working the full time less. the you whole time. Yeah. That's, that's corporate welfare. All, all the time. Mm -hmm. And and it created corporate taxes for this for for the area. Mm -hmm. It built industry in the area. People bought houses as a result. Come on, that's how Well it's a great program. That's how, no, that's how you, I, I, I wouldn't argue with everybody that. Everybody won. But I'm just, I'm just curious, won. I'm just curious to know though. It seems to me it would have made more sense if they if they then had paid the grant back. Since they're now established, they're making all this money, they have this career and so on. If they paid the grant back, there would have been that much more money to put that many more people into similar Why programs. Why not just lower their taxes? Oh, yeah, that's... And then, that, you yeah. know, give them the equivalent of $10,000 per person lower per taxes and put, put the money in the employees' Because hands. then it isn't focused on economic development. Yeah, what you're saying is <laughs> not focused on what the government bureaucrats want that company to be spending their money on when, when or the employee or whoever. You, to me, well, I don't know you just think everything goes and, and, no, and everything depends on competition. I don't believe in the use competition. of force. I don't believe in the use of But, Marianne, you believe, you believe, you, you, you believe just the right, opposite just like as passionately, though. You believe the the opposite just as passionately as he does why do you dismiss his his beliefs he doesn't dismiss I, yours i wasn't dismissing his beliefs i'm saying that that it, it we have a, a fundamental disagreement about how you organize your society how you pay for uh, a just society and and what in fact that just society constitutes it's very clear 
that we're diametrically opposed on those kinds of things, and I, I doubt that we would ever we would ever agree. Well, let's see if well, we can make that happen. We're going to pause for a second. We're going to come back because Bob and Marion do represent two polar opposites, not only in this studio, but in our society today. And the reality is we have to find ways to make the society work that either encompasses their beliefs or at least involves them enough to keep them involved in the process. We're going to see if we can figure out where that middle ground is when we return more on Left, Right, and Center. Left, Right, and Center with Marion Boyd and Bob Metz. And before uh, the break, we were... <laughs> Well, actually, the lines have been drawn pretty pretty sharply, but they are, and that's why Marion and Bob are here, because they both are very eloquent spokespeople for their particular viewpoints. And they articulate viewpoints that, to a greater or lesser extent, I would submit to you, express the beliefs of the majority of the people in Ontario. I think you can take where Marion is and where Bob is, and within, within shouting distance of either one of them, you're going to find most of the people in Ontario. So the question then becomes, Bob wants radical changes to society from the ground up and believes that will solve the problems. Uh, I guess... Yeah, that's not how I would have painted it. Well, I think that's how I would paint it. I mean, I I, I've done this show with you for a couple of years. I think, I think that's what it is. I think there have been radical changes made to society and that, that, that we're not even aware of how radical they've been. Well, I, you know, know, I wouldn't argue that with you, you but... I was asleep in 1969 and woke up today and saw, saw the changes, then you would be aware of it. I wouldn't argue that with you, but I still think, I stand by what I said, I think what you're, what you're suggesting are fairly radical changes from where we are today. And I'm not saying anything wrong with that, but I think respect, that's it. Yeah. And I think, you know, people on the left, uh, like Marion, would like to see even more changes than we've had in some directions, and Absolutely. that's fine. But the reality is, here we are today in 1999, we're about to enter this new millennium in another year, folks. Uh, not this New Year's, but that's a whole other argument. Um, <laughs> we have to, uh, you know, we, we have to move ahead. We've got a Tory government that's doing some things that personally I agree with and a lot of things that personally I don't agree with at all. And, and I think that's, that's the case across the province with a whole lot of people. So in a practical sense, the reality today is that the Tories are doing, they've cut welfare payments. They, the impetus is to cut them even more. The impetus is to try and replace those welfare payments with some kind of workfare program. The reality is they had the support of enough of Ontario voters at the last election that they believe they have a mandate. They will act as though they have a mandate. What can we do within the context of both of your belief systems? What can we do to try and ensure that whatever it is the government finally does is going to be as effective as possible? I mean, we can stand outside the castle and throw rocks at the, at the wall, but it's not going to do anything. Is there anything we can do from the left, from the right, in the center? Well, you know, when you talk about the government acting in an effective manner, I almost think that's an, an oxymoronic concept. Government's role is to make sure that each individual has their rights protected before and under the law and that each individual is treated equally before and under the law and that no individual can violate the equal rights of another individual mm -hmm. under the law. Mm -hmm. Uh, most social legislation violates those principles, and that's when government gets, quote, active, end quote. Mm -hmm. well, so, uh, certainly. The only action government is capable of, and it cannot create a job from, from ground level and create something. That's not what government does. Government is, 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 a, is an agency of force, really, and force is what is governed. That's what we, when we talk about government, what we're governing is the use of force. And every time we say, what should we do with the government, we're really asking ourselves the question, what is the appropriate use of force? In but haven't we, haven't we in, a, in a great, in a, in a kind of a macro sense, uh, haven't we sort of 
answered that question we at, have, as to a our society. Absolutely. No, I won't argue that with you. It's never answered because we're doing damage to ourselves, and the damage is getting worse day by day, so that but, we have to start have, addressing our fundamental but morality. we have still made the decision. We Granted. We if, if you accept a representative democracy, that's it. Then that's, the whole point. that's why we're here, is to argue these issues <laughs> out, to change people's points so that we can vote another party in or get the parties in power to change their points of view, which they have done. The Conservatives today are an entirely different party from the, from the Davis Conservatives. Mm -hmm. When I started Freedom Party, that was NDP party number three at that time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I mean, that to me represents a radical shift in politics, but, it's, but, but a lot of it's still so mixed up and, and contradictory that it's, a lot of policies are self-defeating but, the, but the fact is, we're not going to have new political philosophy tomorrow. We're not going to have a new government. There's not even a new philosophy on the horizon. Well, for, well yeah, yes, there is. I, I, I would disagree with all those things. But, for example, if we did some of the things I suggested, and the conservatives are doing some, lowering taxes, that's, mm -hmm. that's their ticket to fame right there. That's going to make the province pro prosperous, uh, give more opportunities to more people, uh, and make us competitive in a world market, but when which is, is that, where we okay, are now. Let me ask you this question. When's all that going to happen? Because I don't believe it's happening now. We're it still, is happening We are now. still lagging behind our major trading partners. Yeah, Even Ernie Eves says that the tax cut has nothing to do with the prosperity in Ontario. He, he, he made it very clear uh, about uh, five months before the election. He was asked very directly. And he said, no, really, it's the growth of the U.S. economy that has made the difference. We all know that. This tax cut but stuff is, is a, you a know mantra. Why, you know why the U.S. economy is growing? Mantra. Because they're cutting taxes in the U.S. They're doing the same thing down there. And the people, Reagan plan is still in effect. And, and, and what we're seeing is a huge, huge gap between those who have and those who have not. But that's nothing and to worry seeing, about as long as those who we have are not seeing are well people, off. <laughs> no, they are not well off. There's starting in Canada in the sense that we there are the so. third world. I think no, ninety percent of people aren't starving the way they are in some very unfortunate third world countries. But if we have ten percent of people in a prosperous country like this unable to find their homes, unable to feed their kids properly, unable to get the education and skills they need to be able to support themselves and their families, we have a problem. Well, if the goal is for them to support themselves and their families, then what we are doing now with government is absolutely the wrong thing to do because it's a dependency thing. It's a, you know, Jim, you, I heard part of your show this morning. You were talking about even the best people when they lose their job, they sit home and they're and they get depressed. I said you can. And, 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 and let me come and back that, to that. Cause I, I agreed with but you. But I think, on, I think, I think that's important to remember, too. When we talk about people who are not participating in the economy, it's all too easy to, uh, to assume that their mental state is exactly the same as ours while exactly. we are working. And in many, many cases, it, 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 it's, it's just not that easy. Just pull up, you know, grab yourself by the bootstraps and get going. It's, all, it's a tremendously easier to say that than it is but to say what used to happen make, make life comfortable but what, what used to happen was that welfare was a very short-term thing when we came into government before the w before the recession really hit the average length of time that someone would be on welfare if they were not disabled would be about three months mm -hmm. it's now much longer for those who are on welfare because the reasons that they're unable to find work are that much more extreme. We have very few unskilled jobs. 
and we will have fewer well, we, as time we, goes we've on. We've reduced those jobs partially by technology and partially by our welfare programs. When, when, when employers are forced to subsidize the health care system and, and unemployment insurance, I mean, if you want jobs, what you need is more employers, if that's the way you're thinking. And I don't even think that's the way to think. I think today we've got to start thinking more in terms of each person being self-employed offering their own services on an open market, which is the way we were at the turn of the century, and the way we're going to be again. And at the turn of the, the century, of computers. at the turn of the century, if you're a history uh, person, you will know that large, large numbers of our population, a large proportion of our population, were literally on a subsistence level. On a subsistence level. Compared to what we live today, yeah, because markets have in, improved and technology improved and it, freedom was let loose on the face oh, of the earth. Robert, that's the reason. That's a very simplistic view of, 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 of what the reality is. What's the more complex view? Right? The explain more complex view <laughs> is that as, as, as we have changed, at, the same issues are happening today as happened in the Industrial Revolution, mm -hmm. for example. Whereas before the Industrial Revolution, you needed all sorts of bodies doing the manual work to produce things. The Industrial Revolution came along, steam engines, all of that sort of, sort of help, and you needed fewer people, but they needed to have more skills and more knowledge. We're, we're going through the technological revolution, which is doing the same thing, and we need fewer people to do manual labor, fewer people to do unskilled jobs, and, and, and those who are working to be able to have higher skills. We are, we are in our country, uh, not keeping pace with population growth. Mm -hmm. We know we have an aging population. There are going to be fewer people working unless we suddenly open our borders to a whole lot of other people, which frankly is unlikely to happen given the, the, the technological revolution. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and we, we will see ourselves w striving to ensure that those people who will be working in 30 or 40 years have the skills to be able to keep the economy rolling. And it's possible with the technological revolution that we well, have, you know, but only if people get skills. What this government has done, and we really have to look at this, they've made it more difficult than ever for somebody who is on welfare to get an education. They have How have they put, done that? Well, if you can't be on welfare and go to university, used to be that if you had children, if you were a single parent, mm -hmm. you could have the basic, the basic level of welfare to keep them clothed and fed and, and housed. You had to borrow to pay your tuition, mm -hmm. but you could do that, and then, of course, you had to pay back your loans. Now, you can't have the welfare part of it. You have to borrow all of the money all of the money to feed and clothe your kids, as well as your tuition, while you go to college. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, if you have three kids, and you're a single parent, and you look at the enormity of the debt load you're going to have in three or four years, you don't go. But, and but the, Marian, figures that, uh, the figures at, at Fanshawe and at Western show that, in fact, a lot of people who were well into their programs when this change came, quit. They would have been able to be independent, pay back their loans, pay their taxes, but because double barriers were put up, including the increase in tuition, mm -hmm. all at the same time, okay. they can't do that. Okay, but let, here, let, me, let, let me tell you something about that, because I agree that they, they made a mistake 
in practical terms, they made a mistake. But, but there's, there's more than a, there's a philosophical element to that, too. And the element is that the, uh, and I'm not saying I agree with this, but this argument's been made very forcefully. I heard it made very forcefully. The, the flip side of that is that these individuals were not deprived from the opportunity to get an education. That they made a conscious decision to say that I do not want to assume the cost of getting out of the hole that I got myself into. The parallel always comes, in my mind, and I've never heard anybody refute this effectively, and I've argued it with a lot of people. The parallel, I'm going to come back to just the cost of education. You go to university, whether you're on welfare, whatever the case may be, and you end up with a $40,000 bill, and people are 60000 or eighty or or $100,000 bill at the end of it. And people, including the students' union, are just screaming bloody murder about that. This is terrible. This is a terrible burden to put on us, yada, yada, yada. We, you know, that we're, it's nothing we, compared to the taxes they have to well, pay. No, 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 no. <laughs> but uh, my, my comparison is always the same. If I want, if I don't have a university education, I want to create income for myself. I want to create a, make, make a living. I'm going to go buy a store, and I'm going to pay $100,000 for that variety store on the corner. I have to borrow that money. I have to put up collateral for that money. I have to pay all of that money back, all of it. Right. Unless you create, unless you uh, declare bankruptcy. Well, yeah, but if you declare bankruptcy, you lose everything you've got. You lose all the collateral you put up. You lose $100,000 worth of stuff. Because if I'm going to open a variety store, I'm, I can't get that hundred thousand, uh, the hundred grand, unless I've got a hundred grand worth of collateral. There's not a bank in the country that'll give it to me today. And ha where is a single mother of three children who's been deserted by by a partner? Mm -hmm. Um, going to get $100,000 collateral. Well, she's not, but she's going to be able to go to university because the government will lend her the money to get her education. <laughs> but she'll have to try and feed and clothe the kids and borrow enough to do that but at they'll the same But time. they'll lend her that much. They may, well, no, actually. They won't? When, actually, when you really look at, at mm -hmm. what happens, the, yeah. that's part of the problem. Well, okay, let me say, though, again, I, don't, I agree with you. I think they made a mistake there because it's not that simple. But there is a philosophical element to it, and that element is people are saying, no, I don't want to borrow this much money so that when I'm done, I've got that skill and I can earn a living. I'm just, I don't want to go there. And I don't want to talk about why they don't want to go there because there's all kinds of different reasons. But there's a practical element which involves human nature, which is that people are going to resist that. And I think that's where the government made the mistake. But I, I just wanted to make the point that there's still a philosophical thing there, too. We have not prevented people from getting that education. What we've simply said, it's going to cost you a lot of money to do it. Well, in practical terms, you probably have prevented them. Because if you have kids, say you have a kid 10, 1, uh, 8, and 1, 6. And, you know, you, you got into a marriage believing that, you know, it was a partnership and the other person was working, you were raising the kids, you didn't get the skills before you, you got into that mm -hmm. situation. In good faith, you assumed that your turn would come mm -hmm. when the kids were a little bit grown up and, yeah. you know, the whole thing. And that's, okay, didn't work out that way. And, and let's say in this case, it was, it was, a, real, it was a real disaster. Uh, in many of the cases of marriage breakdown, there is a real desertion where child support isn't paid by mm -hmm. that person, they escape that, all of those things, okay? Yeah. So your oldest kid is 10, and you decide you're going to try and go back to university, and you have to incur a bill. Now, how much does it, do we say it costs to raise three kids, uh, even on a subsistence level? Well, at least about $15,000, I would think. It'd be pretty hard. In a, to, in over a year mm -hmm. to support kids for less than that. And even that is, is, is certainly much lower than the, the levels that are set by the National Welfare Council. Or anything. 
So you have to borrow that. And in order to get the skill that's going to guarantee you a job, you need to do at least three years mm-hmm. of training. All right. So you're looking at that situation. At that point, those kids are that much further on, right? Mm-hmm. And in terms of what... So they're eating more, they're costing you more, they have all the school fees and so on. Mm-hmm. It gets to be one of those horrible <coughs> snowball situations. And people, if they have no personal collateral, no support, are, are always going to be reluctant to take on that sort of thing because it seems so big. Well, Somebody at, who's entrepreneurial... Yeah and has collateral and wants to put that up to start a business is in a very different situation than somebody with absolutely no backup as that person is. Okay, I, let, let, are we looking at the wrong end of this problem then? Well, no, no, in, in this sense, are we looking at the wrong, we're looking at the outcome, we're looking at the person who now is without resources, who is on welfare, that mother you talked about just as an example. Um, how'd she get there? Now you talked about breakdown and so on and so on, but you know very well, you've worked in this in the field for years, you know the reality is that many of these people entered into these relationships in the first place without perhaps a sound grasp of what they were doing. Well, would you that's argue another that? whole issue. But that's yes, absolutely. But, 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 I, absolutely. That's the whole issue. Is are, the are, responsibility yeah, are we looking ultimate. at the wrong, the total wrong end of the whole problem? Should we be looking at the front end of the problem? Uh, we allow people to get out of our schools today without an education. But Jim, I don't disagree with you at all. I think in a preventative sense, we spend very little of our tax dollar on prevention yeah. of the problems that cost us the most. Yeah. So I, I absolutely agree with that. That doesn't mean I think we abandon the people who are in crisis no, now. No, not at all. But but should we, while we're looking at the people in crisis absolutely today... Absolutely we should. Well, then why don't we do that? Well, you well, just look at the fight that's going on between the tax cut folks at the federal level and the people who want to put the surplus into programs Marian. for kids. There's the basic fight. Marion was just talking about all the problems that a woman would have going to school, how much it would cost, the money she needs to raise her kids. You know, half of that money is taxes. She could she could get away with half of that if it weren't for the tax burden built into everything. Okay, I have I, Bob, know, I, I don't I don't mean to interrupt you like this, but I have to because okay. we've got to go to some breaks. We'll be right back. It's left, right, and center with uh, Bob Metz and Marion Boyd. Robert, I interrupted you. You were talking about taxes. Um, yeah, just talking about how taxes were built into everything, even the prices of everything that poor people pay. And when, and when we say that we want to tax the rich more than the poor to help solve these programs or solve these problems, we have to remember that, you know, rich, rich people get rich because they're offering services to a broad range of people, including the poor people. And if you're passing taxes on to them, and if they own your local grocery store, you can bet the poor guy that's going down there to buy his groceries is paying those taxes to him. He's not paying them. It's the consumers that pay all that. But to go back even, you know, to a further point, like Marion was talking about how there's so few uh, manual and unskilled labor available, you know, in certain areas. But that's always when you add the caveat at a given price. I mean, yes, there's very few unskilled labor available at, you know, at a cheap price or, or too expensive a price. It's only worth so much. Like the lady that called this morning, she can mm-hmm. only afford 50 cents to $3 an hour to pay. So to her, her market price, regardless of what the government thinks about it, that's all she can afford for that kind of labor. But our laws do not allow that kind of labor to exist legally. Mm-hmm. So we invent things like workfare to, to, to get around the, the rules we made up so we can get around all the things that Marion was talking about, labor safety law protections and, and, and minimum wage laws. We're getting around them. We're just making other laws that categorize people. So you're, you're a person that doesn't need to obey this law, so you can go here and make less than the minimum wage, and we won't do anything to you or your employer. 
Uh, we, should, we should get rid of all those regulations in the first place. Who's protected? I've never entirely understood this. Marianne, maybe you can help me. Who is protected by a minimum wage law? We keep hearing talk, we keep hearing talk about people who are who won't take minimum wage jobs. I'd rather stay on welfare than do that. Because I, and it, you know, makes a certain amount of sense. I can't make much more money doing that, and it's a terrible job anyway. Why would I do it? If we talked, we talked before about that single employable person that makes five twenty a month. Um, even at four dollars an hour for forty hour a week, they'd make way more than five twenty a month. How are they? How are they protected if we've created a situation where? Uh, you know, people just don't want the jobs, and the and the, many of the jobs aren't there because the employers say, "I'm not going to pay five or six dollars and eighty cents or whatever it is now for this. I just can't do it. So I'm not going to have two of these. You know, I could maybe I maybe I'd have two people at four dollars an hour because I'd get some little extra benefit out of that. But instead, I'll make do with one at six seventy, and that individual is going to have to work a whole lot harder. But that's as far as I'm going to go because I'm not paying the extra payroll tax or all this other stuff. H how do we? <laughs> who, who benefits from a fixed minimum wage? We all do, uh, first of all, because what it does is, is, is maintain a, a, a certain standard um, that, that enables us to uh, ensure that uh, we are not exploiting people. I mean, if you have the kind of free market that Bob's talking about, those who can't defend themselves will find their wages draw, driven down and down and those who have the power, of course, will be taking a larger and larger piece of the pie. Just people? hold on a minute, Robert, please. You look at the economy in the United States. It is booming. If you look at the comparison between minimum wage in the United States and minimum wage here in Canada, it is almost a dollar and five, I think it's a dollar and five cents higher in the United States. It's not hurting their economy at all to have a higher minimum wage. And what it is doing is getting more people off welfare because it doesn't pay. It isn't a trend. Yeah, but there's there's a pair. Well, why not make it twenty bucks an hour? No, no, no. But wait a minute. There's a there there's a there's a little fly in the ointment there. And I read a thing not very long ago about this that that the there's a certain amount of distortion that particularly in the southern United States, where there are literally literally millions of people, working for less than minimum wage. Oh sure, and that's a, the the right to work. Which this government probably will try to put in during this term. No, I'm term. talking about the illegals. I'm no. talking about in, in, the, oh, in, the, in, the, in the southern part of the United States. That that that's that much of the day-to-day, -day, you know, uh, rubber meets the road kind of work that's being done in the southern United States, particularly in California, um, it is being done for less than minimum wage. Well, uh, you know, <laughs> we uh, here there are lots of people who work under the table and don't pay their taxes, and it costs our economy huge, yeah, billions huge, of dollars. huge billions of dollars. Yeah, that's not I true mean, either. surely we don't. You don't. Surely no. we don't. Well, it, it makes money for the people who are under the table because they have the money that they can now spend and put in. It's all the money's in the economy. When, when Marion says it costs the economy, what she means is that the government didn't get their take, which is which is already way beyond exorbitant. Mm -hmm. But but I mean. The, the whole concept of constantly adding more taxes, minimum wages, everyone has their own individual minimum wage under which they will not work because they cannot survive at that level. And the reason minimum wages don't affect all certain sectors of the economy is because nobody's even near minimum wage in those areas. You know, but the question I would have is, you know, I'm, I'm basically a self-employed person and quite often I find myself working for less than minimum wage. Marian, would you suggest that when I'm doing that, that I should be penalized or, or have, be fined or go to jail or something like that because I've chosen to work in the marketplace for customers who are only willing to pay me so much for what I do, and then maybe that keeps me at minimum wage for a while. What, should I be penalized for that? Well, is the difference that you're not being exploited. 
Well, you're, you're I mean, exploited by the marketplace, and if you're going to use a word like exploit, exploitation to me mean, mean, means you have to be using force, not not trade. If I agree to work for somebody for two bucks an hour, I'm not being exploited. I've, I agreed to that. That's but if you deal, don't have anything to eat and you don't have any place to, to live... Then I wouldn't agree to work and for two dollars an hour. But, I might, but <laughs> other people are in a situation where they can do that, and they're not permitted to. And I, I know all kinds of them, and they don't need that much money to... Uh, to work or, or to, to live because they have other means, you know? So we're always worried about the income. And it's always in an employer-employee relationship. If you're self-employed, you can work for as little as anything and nobody's going to talk about you being exploited by anybody. But the minute you enter that same payment relationship with another person, well, that person is suddenly exploiting you because why? I, I don't know. Would we go anywhere, just, would we know, go anywhere, would we go anywhere, and again, Mary, not the people who are disabled and so on, but would we go anywhere again with those single unemployables if we said to them, okay, here's the deal, folks. The government is going to give you 300 bucks, in it, 300 bucks a month. That's what we're going to give you. And uh, you can earn, you go out there and earn some more money up to, you know, whatever, you know, some kind of reasonable cutoff because you can't do it forever. But basically you're on your own. So you, we'll give you 300 bucks because we know you haven't got skills or you're between jobs or whatever. Now you go and find some of those minimum wage jobs, get yourself a minimum wage job or maybe even a below minimum wage job. Maybe we'll take minimum wage off for you guys. Go out there and get a job, make as much as you want. You're certainly going to be able to earn more than the 520 we're giving you now. Um, and you're going to have the opportunity to work, to get in the workforce. You're going to have the dignity of doing that. Maybe you're going to feel a little better about yourself because you do. You have a reason to get up in the morning and go somewhere. Would we be any worse off with a system like that than yeah, to get... Yeah, you know what happens then? What? Then everybody else's wages get driven down. Everybody else who's earning under $10 an hour, their wages begin to erode because there are other people to replace them at a lower cost. That's what happens. You erode the standard of living of, ah, of, no, no, of, of, of those true. who are earning at not a huge amount of money, but a... But, but a a, a reasonable amount of money. So the people then who are sitting on welfare, we can't find jobs for them. We're not paying them enough to live a decent life. We're not, they're not staying motivated. We know that. It's psychologically very hard. Is that the price we pay for the society? In which no. Are we asking them no. to pay the price for I believe for there are things we can do, Jim. One of the things is not penalize people dollar for dollar for what they earn. When, when all of this workfare stuff came in and the, the, the wages, uh, the um, welfare rates went down, the argument was made the best incentive would be to allow people to earn more over their welfare yeah. than they can what, under what, that what law. What went wrong with that? Well, they just didn't do it because it was going to, you know, I don't know why they didn't but, do it. But the NDP government didn't do it either. Well, actually we did. We had increased. When, when the rates went up, we had increased the amount that they could work and given incentives for them so that they could... They but were, could they, were they, and I'm not attacking the government, but were they large enough incentives to really provide an incentive for individuals? In the, in the, in the middle of a recession, there just simply weren't the jobs to make it, make it real. I don't think the jobs are there now to make it real. Mm -hmm. You talk about it being easy for people to find work. Well, not easy and, 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 uh, and, and not long-term meaningful work, but there is employment out there. Well... You know, there, are an off, there are an awful lot of empty jobs right now. Maybe they're not good jobs, maybe they don't pay much, but there's a lot of those jobs out there. And maybe they're not safe jobs. Could be there are an unlimited number of jobs if you set the price at the right level, but the problem is the government doesn't want the price at a certain level. And, if, and, when, and when wages drop, you stopped in the middle of the equation there, Marion. Well, I'm going to stop you in the but, middle here, you know, too, because we're out of time. Prices drop, too. All right. Thanks to both of you for coming in today. It's always fun. Folks, I hope you've enjoyed it as much Thank as you. I have. Thank you. Uh, tomorrow on the program, uh, our friends from Price Waterhouse will be in to talk to you about starting your own business. What do you need to know? We're going to take a look at Canada's amazing history in the study of dinosaurs. We've got our friends from McLean's. We've got treasures in the